We're going to continue our series on the church today. And originally when we started out uh, in this series, I mean, it was, it was for the, the point of clarifying um, some different things uh, dealing with our own church body and um, ecclesiology, uh, how the church should be structured. We introduced elder candidates, uh, elders who uh, lead and te- teach in the church and really defined um, that for you. And today, I had planned on really talking about uh, the mission of the church as it particularly pertains to multiplication and multiplication um, to the nations and why we plant churches. And I was going to go pretty hard at convincing some of you uh, to move to Durango uh, to help plant Overland Durango. However, uh, I feel like pastorally, as I kind of prayed through things in Shepherd, I'm just going to punt that one down the road uh, uh, a little bit, and I'm still going to do that. I already have been doing that. Um, however, I feel like I needed to talk to, about something else in the mission as I kind of prayed about it and I thought about our people and kind of seen uh, what's going on with culture. And it really has to do with the Dobbs decision two weeks ago and how that pertains to the mission of the church. And so I, I feel like I need to talk through that this morning. I need to, I need to talk through uh, that. It, the, the Dobbs decision has caused people to speak very, very vocally uh, against the church and Christianity. I mean, I've just seen um, hate and vitriol kind of spit out towards, uh, from the, from really from the pro-choice side to the pro-life side, but in that, shooting, shooting shots at the church. And so, I, I want to I address that. I mean, I've, I've heard things said like, mind your own business and go practice your Christianity in private. Those who know anything about Christianity know that it's actually kind of hard to practice it in private. Now, you ought to practice it in private, but the, the commands of Scripture really command us to practice it in public, right? To have a public witness to wherever we go and wh- wherever we are. I mean, we are Christian before we're anything else. We are in Christ. It is, it is part of our identity. He's, he's transformed us. He's made us new. So before you're a part of a political party, you're a Christian. Before you're part of your job, you are a, a Christian. Like you can't strip Christian from uh, the public life and only be it in private. I've, I've heard people say the church's purpose is to help the poor, not hurt them. As if it is the aim and goal, and, and as we've acted, as if, hey, let's hurt poor people. Now, the, the, the person saying it, and I simplified that, I mean, it was this long rant about how we are hurting the poor and not helping um, the poor, and they've had very opinionated, um, uh, kind of opinionated pieces there in their, in their shot at us that, that says, hey, this is what you ought to do. And, and folks, I would just say the, the Bible is what informs us what we ought to, to do. And we're, we're a people of, of the Bible. It's teaching informs us. And so we, we need to look at that. We, why, is it the purpose of the church to, to help the poor? Is that our main and primary purpose? I heard one celebrity 
um, heard multiple celebrities, but th- this one just just sh- just shocked me. They, they, she starts off and she says, I'm all for freedom of religion. And she goes on this rant about freedom of religion for a few seconds. You know what I was waiting for? But, but, just because your ancient mystic book says something doesn't mean you have to force it on me. She continues on, Christian should dot, 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 dot. The, the blaring hypocrisy is that people are pointing fingers at Christians and are saying, now you've got to do something, as if the church hasn't been doing it throughout all of, of church history. And the hypocrisy is that they're not doing anything themselves other than trying to make sure we can stay where they can, can keep eliminating the things they seem to be problems. And so I, I see this kind of misinformation being shared. I, I notice Gen Z sharing all sorts of misinformation. And Gen Z, let me remind you, it wasn't long ago that you were mad at the boomers for sharing misinformation all of the time. And so, Gen Z, it's your time to stop sharing stuff that's not true, um, uh, particularly ar- ar- around abortion and and what it is. And so if, there, if there's this mis, much misunderstanding in the world, I want to make sure the church has clarity about its mission and its purpose. That's what I want to do today. I've had um, this response uh, multiple times over the past week where, I, and I've talked about this for weeks on weeks, uh, back into... Uh, our last series in Romans chapter 6 about making sure that we have the log out of our eye before we judge somebody for the speck in theirs, right? And, and as we do that, let's, let's humbly approach the text today to make sure that we are following the Lord and what he's called us to do, not pressures of the culture or what anybody else says we ought to do. Here's the first big truth that I want. This is what I want us to walk away with today. And what I want us to see from the scriptures. The mission of the church is to make disciples. That is, in fact, the mission of the church. If you wanted to boil down the mission of the church, it is to make disciples. We, we say our mission statement as a church is we glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's how we glorify God. That's our mission statement. But when we kind of, the elongated version says, in order to make disciples who serve their community and multiply to the nations, right? So there's this aspect. If you want to boil down the mission of the church, it's to make disciples. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28 in your your Bibles. We're going to just, we're going to be there. We're going to look at this text uh, we're also going to be in James today. We're going to be in Matthew today. There's, there's, there's quite a bit of, of places. So have your Bible in your lap and be ready. But the, the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 28 shows us this. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
Now, I had planned on talking about our mission and really talking today about what it means to make disciples of all nations and what, what that means to make uh, disciples of all nations and how our mission leads to multiplication among the nations. But I want to really hone in rather in, in a, 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 a different spot in verse 20. And it's this. Here's the big idea. Disciples obey all that God commands. Disciples obey all that God commands. Now they do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so we get this hint about what a disciple is. We often at our church define a disciple as a, a radical, reproducing, lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. So Jesus' disciples were radical. They weren't like the world. They, they turned from the world. They didn't live like the world. They lived like radicals, right? And, and the term disciple itself, and it's, it, it, means a lot, it means learner or follower. It's a, a student. And so um, when we, we talk about that, there, you don't just learn it. You follow it. You're not just a learner of the things of Christ. You follow the things of Christ. And so when, when we see in verse 20... Uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, it means that, that not, you're not just learning it, you're, you're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in you. Jesus' half-brother James has some things to say about those who learn but don't obey, who don't observe, who don't live it out. Just go ahead and flip there real quick. James 1, 19... He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'll just point out, we ought to, man, half of what's going on in our world today would be different if we lived that one verse out. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness so humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so we see James say, okay, this, this is how we ought, ought to live. Here are some of these commands of Christ that we ought to follow. And we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's not just a learner, it's a follower. It's a, it's, it's a living out what God has said. So being a disciple is following Christ. We're going we're gonna to skip just a, a few verses there. We're actually going to come back to them here in, in a minute. And I want you to go all the way down to James chapter 2, verse 14. He said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith... But he does not have works. Can that faith save him? If, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
it is not just knowing the commands of God. It is about that being the action of those commands. It is, it is living those out. Hypocrisy, so often for the Christian, is knowing the right thing, saying the right thing, and doing the wrong thing. There's really kind of two, two types of sins that, that, that fall into this. And we talk about sin, most of the time we talk about, we're thinking like sins of commission. Sins that, that we do. So we would, we would say, right, you need to be uh, slow to speak, slow to anger, right? We would say we need to guard our mouths, we need to tame the tongue. And then hypocrisy, the sin is we don't guard our mouth, we're fast to speak, we say things that we shouldn't. Like There's an example. But there's also sins of omission. It's like you know the right thing to do and you don't do it. You say you ought to do X and then yourself you don't, don't do it. And so as a disciple, right, disciples obey all that God commands. We, when we say we're going to follow Christ, that means our eyes are on the scriptures, on the text to live it out. Jesus said in Matthew, chapter 25, go ahead and, and, and turn to Matthew. We're going to dig around in Matthew um, a little bit. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is verse 31, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared before you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when, when, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we seek, see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Don't stop there. Then he'll say to those on his left, the, the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And here, from this passage that we often call the least of these. This is a passage about what, what you did to the least of these. We really can, can walk away with one of Jesus' commands that his disciples are to obey. 
Here's the next big idea that I want to show you is that Jesus commands us to care about the well-being of others. What is is our motivation for the care of of life? Uh, When we say that if you're a pro-life person from the womb to the tomb for all of life, what is the motivation? It's the motivation that Jesus commands us to care for the well-being of others. This has often been talked about in terms of human flourishing. For, for Christians, we, we can see this in the Bible, Psalms, in the Psalms, and, and in, in the uh, Proverbs, you can see it. And you can see it throughout out the Old Testament. You can see it in the New Testament, that there's this idea that where um, God's people go, there's a flourishing that's good for humanity. When we plant churches, we plant churches for God's glory, but church history has shown that it's also for the good of the city. I, I, you know, when, when kind of those, those kind of things, like the church, what are you doing? I mean, our son was born in Central Baptist Hospital, right? Have you ever seen a Central Atheist Hospital, right? Well, yeah, you probably have because they've got a university's name on them. But none, none, nonetheless, like if you, you think about it, over and over, like who started orphanages in, in, in history of the world? Who started orphanages? Christians have started orphanages. Who, who have been the people who started clinics and hospitals? Where, what was the origin of that? It was Christians who did it. Uh, we, the human flourishing cares about the poor, the sick, the oppressed. That, that, that's, Christians care about it. I want, you to, I want you to understand that. When we look at the context of this. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. The context of this is, is the church. I want you to understand that. We're talking about the church, but it definitely leaves the, 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 the church walls to care for the community um, around it. But, but Christians, in general, when we make decisions, when we think about how we would influence government, when we think about how we would influence law, and by, by no means do we believe in a, a theonomy in which uh, we think that the church should be over the state. We're working for a different kingdom, God's kingdom. God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to, be, I want you to understand something. Um, we, we are not trying to follow Caesar, but we want Caesar to know Jesus. Right? We want to see Caesar radically transformed by the gospel. We're not trying to enforce some sort of morality on you. We're trying to share the gospel of Jesus with you so that your world is turned upside down and that you know Christ. And so this is what we know. Jesus commands us to care about the well-being of others. That we know that that for anybody to, 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 to truly be in a good spot, to be healthy, that it starts in the heart spiritually. It starts with, with the gospel. It starts with Jesus. Like I can, We could go, go out uh, to the Mason Trail and pick up somebody that's living in the bushes down here who, who is in a season of homeless and in a season of drug addiction, and we could rehab them, and we could put them in a mansion and give them very nice cars and boats and whatever, and they could still be in, that is not caring for the well-being, they could still be in a hor- horrible state. So what, what, what do we care about first? We care about the spiritual condition of their soul. But, but imagine this. Uh, imagine um, somebody comes to your door and they, they knock on your door. And, 
and they were, they were walking down the street, and a limb fell off a tree, and it hit them in the head, and they've got this big gashing wound, and they're bleeding profusely. And they're bleeding, and they open your door, and you realize, this person needs Jesus. Sir, let me tell you, I see you have blood running down your head. Let me tell you about the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? That's not their immediate need, is it? Their immediate need is, 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 is a bandage, is to, to close the wound. This is the, the same thing when he, when he go, James says, like if you see this person uh, who, who, who's hungry or homeless or, or needs something, and you say, oh, go warm and be filled, what, what faith is that? I mean, Jesus' faith, as he showed us to the least of these, is to, like when we serve the least of these, when we serve the vulnerable, we care about the well-being of others, it is a step in our mission to proclaim Christ to them. It can't stop at the, at the point of meeting that initial need. It can only be a starting point into the initial need. We don't meet that initial need because we think that the end goal is to be saved and so the ends justify the means. No, rather, we meet the need because we consider others more significant than ourselves. We care about their well-being. We care about their human flourishing. We care about their, their lives. So if you read the book of Acts, you look at the early church. Brandon, last week... Um, he, he, he was going to talk, he was talking about community and service. And what do we know? Like when we talk about Acts 2.42, that the church met the needs of others, that they sacrificially gave to the needs of others. You go up to Acts chapter 4, and you see it again. You see the church meeting others' needs. You go to Acts chapter 6. Why did they appoint deacons? Right? It was about, it was about food and benevolence. It was about ministering to others, and, and the deacons could then distribute the needs to those in the church. And as you see the, the, the church in its start, what you see is that it cares about the flourishing of others. James chapter 1 again. If anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion... That is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's so much here. You could preach this to yourself for years. The hardest parts in this verse are not taking care of the, the orphan and the widow. The hardest parts in these verses are taming one's tongue and keeping oneself unstained from the world. But in a very tangible way, we see here what it means to, to, to take care of the most vulnerable, the orphan and the widow. And so here's the big idea that I would show you is that we have a responsibility to take care of the most vulnerable and the most vulnerable is the widow and the orphan. That is the most vulnerable. It was the most vulnerable in society there. If a, if a woman were to lose her husband and she were to lose the, you know, half of her income, there was no life insurance, there was no pension, there was no social security. It meant that whatever he did for a living was, was, was gone. And so the question became whose job was it to take care of her? 
And if she was in the church, the church rose up and said, it is our job to take care of her. Now, there's, there's other things put on that. Paul, you can read Paul's writings. You know, if she's able to work, she should work. If she's got family, her family should, should take care of her. If she's young and she has the opportunity to remarry, she should remarry if she wants. She doesn't have to, but she, she should. Like, she ought, you know, she, she ought to. Here's what you see with the orphan. I mean, the truth is, if, 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 a, if a baby is born and in the childbirth the mother dies, that baby has no chance of living unless someone takes care of it. And that just grows on a scale. And so the most vulnerable are the youngest, which are among us. The, the ones without those who give them care. So the church, because we care about human flourishing, we take care of the orphan. There's been a, been a part of me the, the past few weeks that's just wanted to be really defensive. And I've, I've tried not to be, and, I, and I, I, have, I, have, I have had like this zero comment on people's Facebook policy the past few weeks because I just want to be defensive. What are you going to do to take care of the, 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 the orphan? What are you going to do? The foster care system's full. The, you know, all these kind of, kind of comments. And I want to say, you know, our, our church... On a Sunday morning, 15 to 20 percent, I've done the math, 15 to 20 percent are fostered or adopted. What other environment do you walk into where 15 to 20 percent of the kids in the church are fostered or adopted? I mean, you know, 15 percent, like, does that happen on your ball team? Does it happen in the public school classroom? Like, no, it's, it's the, the, the church. What do you, what do you want to do with, with church history that shows that for uh, millennia, the church has run orphanages and take, taken care of the children, the least of these, when the state wouldn't. And then I would just point to the complications of the foster care system in America. That, that in our system, I want you to understand, there are no orphanages in the U.S. I mean, there's very, 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 very few. Statistically speaking, there are none. Our, our foster care kids go to homes or to respite some sort of some sort of care to be there for for the the orphan our goal in foster care in america is to reconcile to heal the home so that that kid can be back with its 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 mother now the church is incredibly involved in the system now saying that just put the caveat to say we're not involved enough. We're not. We need to be involved more. We need to do more. It is incredibly messy. When you step into foster care, more than likely you are stepping into uh, trauma and abuse. Drug abuse um, is one of the primary, if not the primary, alcohol abuse, the primary reason in which foster care, foster kids are in foster in our, our country. And so it, it's, it's a hard thing, it's a messy thing, but we have a responsibility to it. We, we have the, the responsibility to get our hands dirty, and as we're going to obey the commands of Christ, it is to help the most vulnerable among us, and that is the widow and the orphan.
I would point out that when we see these commands, again, in James, also the least of these passages, I believe the direct context of those is the church. That means we ought to care for the, the, the widow in the church. We ought to care for the orphan in the church. Um, we ought to care for the least of these, the poorest in our community. But I'm also reminded of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And remember, as I read this, that Samaritans were hated, right? Jewish people did not like the, their um, neighbors over here, the Samaritans, who they shared some lineage with. I mean, they, they, they hated them. And Jesus tells this parable, and it is a parable. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, and, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever uh, more you spend, I will repay when you come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So here's my next big idea. And it's that ministries of mercy are part of the church's mission. He showed him compassion. When, they answered, when he asked him the question, the, the one who showed him mercy was the answer. You go and do likewise. Ministries of mercy are a part of the church's mission. And so when we say that we're going to do all that God commanded us, that's part of making disciples. We are teaching that disciples are to be people of mercy. In, in the past... Um, Social justice has been a different name uh, for ministries of mercy, but it's got a lot of different implication, and it's carried a lot of different baggage because of really uh, some, some the theology that's been attached to it, right? And so uh, we, we don't want to think that way, but we want to think, okay, we're not thinking either attaching some, some sort of um, socialism to it or, or whatever else. What we're, what we're talking about is, is being merciful, showing mercy to those around us by the commands of Scripture and doing so the way in which it, which it says. So, how ought a church, in, in, in fulfilling its mission, be merciful? That's, that's like the, that's a, the real question that boils down to us today, Overland Church. And so, 
I, I read an article by Kevin DeYoung, and he had two principles in it, and I'm just going to I'm just going to share those two those two principles. The first principle was this: is that we're most responsible to help those closest to us. We're most responsible to help those closest to us. And so, if you think about in, in all the stuff we've read, um, whether it's about the the widow and the orphan or the least of these, that our responsibility is to those whom God crosses our path with them. So, you have a neighbor who's a part of your church, and she is widowed. She has no family, she has nobody else, you're the closest person as the Christian. I want you to understand something. You first bear the responsibility with the help of the church. Now, you have somebody who's widowed, and in your family, say it's your mom who is widowed. Guess whose job it is to care for that widow? Is it the church's? No, it, you're the person who is closest to it. it it's, it's about proximity. It, it, is, it is the person that, that you're closest to. So you're going to deal with uh, the ministries of mercy which apply to you. Uh, Jennifer, in her work, they often call this asset-based uh, ministry, and it's like what, what are... The needs around you, you survey the needs around you, and what assets do you have as a church that can meet those needs? And so this is, this is, this is what we do as Christians, and what, what we, what we, how we ought to live and, and apply these things. If there is someone in our church um, who be, becomes an orphan, we as the church ought to be the people who come around them if they don't have family to do so. So it's, it's, it's your family, it's your church, and then it spreads into your community. So this is, this is what I have to know specifically as we would just tie this to everything going on in our culture. That, that our church should minister to the needs within the church. So if there is, um, uh, when, when someone would become orphaned, we would step up and take care of the orphan. When somebody would become widowed, we would step up and help them. Let's say... Um, a teenager in our church were to get pregnant. What would our response be to that, that teenager in need? Would it be to shun them? Would it be to, to cast them out? Or would it be to wrap our arms around them and help them? Well, that's what it would be. It would be, it would be help. Matter of fact, every church I've ever been a part of, besides this one actually, so going back, has had teenagers who've gotten pregnant. In, all, in, in, in every instance, in those three churches, the church wrapped their arms around those teenagers and helped those teenagers raise those babies because they valued life. They valued that life. And so we would, we would help the orphan if um, that happened and someone came to us and said, hey, we've, there's a baby and it, it, is in, it is within our community and it, it is up for adoption. I want to give it away from adoption. Our church should step up. Someone in the church would step up for adoption. I want you to understand something. It, it's not, I don't believe it's going to be everybody's calling in life to, to, to uh, adopt or to foster, but I believe it's every calling of the Christian to help the widow and the orphan, which often means helping the families who have adopted or Fostered. Now, I've seen our church do this beautifully. Like, I think a few weeks ago, um, you know, the Williams, who just have an incredible heart for adoption and fostering, they had some kids that were coming in just for a few days, and they didn't have the material things that they needed. 
And so she posts in the, the Overland family Facebook group, hey, do you need these things? And I was talking to Bobby yesterday, and he was like, yeah, all those things showed up. Everything we needed show, showed up. That's how, that's how we ought to do it. It ought to be within this concentric circle that's around us that starts with our immediate family. We're meeting those needs. It goes into our church family. We're meeting those needs. But then it ought to expand into the world. And so we are, that, that, that's the principle we see the great, the, the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan, I mean, he could have he done like the other two guys and he could have skirted around them. But instead, he, showed, he chose to show mercy. And so the principle number two is we're most responsible to help the least, those least able to help themselves. And so here's the truth. We can't help everybody. As the church, like we, we, we don't have unlimited resources, unlimited time, unlimited people, right? So we have to choose whom we help. I'll I, I just be real kind of, kind of vulnerable with you. It's one of the things that just eats at me. Is, you know, we, Jennifer and I run five days a week. And often it's 5.30, 6 a.m. And we're running. So often I run right by people asleep on benches. It's cold. I've got ice in my beard. It's, it's like that cold. You know, it's just like eats at me, and I, I just go down the Mason Trail, and I, if, you, if you go between the Mason Trail right here, just I'm talking right here in Harmony, and you go down it, what you're going to see is between the Mason Trail and the railroad tracks, they're, they're, they're clearing, the city is clearing out the underbrush because there are homeless people over there living in it. And so they're, 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 they're clearing out, they're, they're, you know, they're clearing that out. A few weeks ago we were in Hollywood, and they were just right where the stars were, and there's just homeless people everywhere. That, that, eats, that eats at me. I, I don't want to run right by a situation and, and not help. I want to help. But the Bible also shows us, like, actually, that's not the most vulnerable person. An able-bodied person who can work, they ought to work. That sounds harsh. And so, if I've got to pick between, okay, I've got a vulnerable baby, baby who has no way of earning anything and a person who, who does but because of substance abuses is choosing the easiest path to get to their addiction, which one do I choose to help? I, I wish, I so wish that I knew how to help addicts. I, I wish we had the resources to, to start a drug rehabilitation program. I, I do. But at the end of the day, I have to step back and make a choice and go, or I can help the one who had no choice in the matter. And so, I want to help everybody. I, I want to see all of humanity flourish. And I want to, I want to see our, our, our world practice principles that help everybody flourish, right? So that's why we spread the gospel, because the gospel helps people flourish. It's, it's what it does. When we, we talk about the unborn and the, 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 the value of, of, of life, I don't just value the unborn baby. I, I value the mother's life, too. I'm not valuing one over the other. But I also disagree with like the, the, the thought process of, of what it means. If we're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna, to terminate a pregnancy because it's, it's, it's really keeping the mother 
from flourishing. I, I would simply argue that you've got the wrong view of flourishing. You're thinking about flourishing from a financial standpoint. You're thinking like, well, if, if that means she's you know, going to be poor. I would tell you there's millions and millions of mothers around the earth that would say, I would rather be poor and have my child than be rich and not have my child. And so I get in the dire circumstances of the moment why it may feel that way, but, but as the church, like, we need to help the mother and the child. We, 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 need, to, we need to, and I say we need to, you know, that we, we have, we do. This is what Christianity does. This is why we do what we do, because we are called to these ministries of mercy. So we need to be a people who show Christ's mercy. We need to be a people who live like Christ. Who, who live like Christ. I mean, Christ came and died so that we might live. Do you understand that? Like, that is, the, that is the beauty of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ showed us mercy. He, he, he died so that we could be saved. The Bible teaches that those who confess with their mouth... That Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised his son from the dead. That means that he was crucified on the cross for our sins. He was put in the grave. He was raised on the third day. That he died in our place. That he, he, he paid the price we could not pay. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to die that you may live. And the Bible teaches us that greater love has no this than, than, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. And that is what we ought to live out. If we're talking about the mission of the church is to make disciples, it is to obey the commands of Christ. And we have to look at those commands and have to embrace ministries of mercy are part of the church mission. So church, here's just my plea to you is that we constantly, as a church, look at the world around us and where we see the least of these, the most vulnerable around us, we step up and we meet their needs. I feel like as a church, there, there's ways in which we've done it. I mean, you, you think about uh, during the pandemic and, and um, our serving of food and the resource center and... Um, all the help, and now the ESL class, that's all been born out of that. But what's, what's the next thing? Like We're going to keep, keep doing that, but as we see needs of, of, in our community, let's be a church that's serious about meeting the needs of those around us. Listen, I want to be a church that plants churches. I want to be a church that sends missionaries to the nations, but we cannot do that at the expense of our local mission and the vulnerable that are around us. Amen. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. May we read it and heed it. May we do it. May we figure out how to help those who cannot help themselves. And let us figure out how to Help us, God, guide us to help us to rehabilitate those who ought to be helping themselves. Let us be a church that is merciful. 
that is kind and compassionate to the least of these. And that over and over and over as a church body, we meet the needs of those in the body, that we take care of those in the body, that we take care of those in our, in our families, in our church families, in our community. God, let us be selfless people who live for your glory and your honor and not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing a song of response.